Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. You're here at The Place, among the FreightWaves family of podcasts, where we talk about oil and diesel, because oil needs to be drilled, and you need oil to make diesel. Also here on Drilling Deep today, we're going to speak to Tim Crawford. He is the CEO of 10 Street. 10 Street assists companies in their hiring processes, and he sees a huge amount of data and trends about the hiring of truck drivers at any given time. He's going to have some fascinating perspectives for us. Let's talk about oil, as we always do to kick things off. We published a story in Freight Waves this week, and yeah, I wrote it, about a growing factor in the price of refined petroleum products. We'll try not to get too geeky describing it here on Drilling Deep, but it is an important subject because it is impacting the price of diesel fuel. There is a renewable fuel standard in the U.S. It affects gasoline, but it also affects diesel. A company supplying fuel to the market needs to show, needs to show the government, that they are meeting the numbers set down by the renewable fuel standard. They can do that by blending ethanol into gasoline or biodiesel into diesel. There are a few other things they can do, but those other two are easily the biggest ways. But there are companies whose structure really makes blending impossible. They really don't blend. They just supply. Or maybe the blending at some companies isn't going to be enough to meet the standards. So instead, they have to buy credits called renewable identification numbers, known in the industry as RINs. Or they buy something called renewable volume obligations, known as RVOs. RVOs are basically a formula produced through the value of ethanol RINs, biodiesel RINs, and so on. RVOs are quoted in cents per gallon. The thing about RVOs is that they pretty much go straight onto the price of the fuel. So there's not some complicated math. There's a complicated math to get to the RVO. But once the RVO is produced at, let's say, 10 cents, that means the addition to the fuel uh, is, in, is some other number that you get to go after the math process. So if the RVO is 10 cents, figure the company buying that RVO needs to add 10 cents per gallon to their fuel, whether it's gasoline or diesel, to account for that expenditure. RVOs at the start of 2020 were about 2 cents. They're now about 15 cents. They've been as high in the past month or so as 17 cents. There are several reasons for that, but the biggest one is that the agricultural products that are used to make the renewable fuels that get blended into the finished products are all way up. Corn and soybeans are all at the highest level they've been at in years. That means the cost of ethanol made from corn and the cost of biodiesel made from soybeans is way up too. There's no way around it. With the RVOs now sitting at 15 cents, that's going to push up the price of the finished petroleum product. It's not that the retailer who sells a truck driver diesel takes a price he gets from his supplier and then just adds on 15 cents, but down in the supply chain that leads to the fuel coming out of that pump, that 15 cents has to be accounted for, and ultimately, it's going to show up at that pump price. There are other ways that RVOs, uh, high RVOs, can affect the, the price of diesel. You don't need to account for RVOs if you export gasoline or diesel, so that can give a trader an incentive to export the fuel rather than sell it in the U.S. That obviously can make, make exports look more attractive, and that can tighten up the domestic market for diesel. The other impact here is that jet fuel doesn't need to be blended with your renewables or have RVOs as a substitute because the quality of biodiesel and jet fuel is still a bit of an uncertain area, and let's face it, you don't want to mess with jet engines. As we've talked about here before, diesel and jet are both distillates, so the lack of a renewable mandate for jet can mean that a refinery, when it's producing its distillates, would rather make jet than diesel to avoid RVOs, to avoid the whole renewable fuel standard. Again, something that disincentivizes making diesel. 
It might not have mattered when RVOs were two cents, but it is more likely to matter at 15 to 17 cents. The good news for consumers of diesel is that so far, there are a few signs that production and exports are climbing as a result of the price of renewable fuels or the price of RVOs. But given that the price of RVOs does fall directly to the bottom line, on a ratio that is close to, but not necessarily one-to-one, but still, it is perfectly legitimate to say that truck drivers are paying at least 10 cents per gallon more for their fuels, uh, and the cost of soybeans and corn is a reason for that. That may be hard to wrap your head around, but it is a new phenomenon, and it isn't going away. We are going to bring in our Drilling Deep guest for this week. He is the CEO of 10 Street. He's Tim Crawford. 10 Street is a company that fleets turn to during their hiring process for a variety of services. He's got a keen perspective on hiring trends in the sector, and he joins us here on Drilling Deep. Uh, Tim, thanks for joining us today. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. All right. You can give a better description than me about what 10 Street does and when somebody hires you, what do they expect you to do? Yeah. I mean, I think your description was really pretty good. I mean, we're, we try to be that um, software layer between carriers and drivers, you know, from when drivers are first starting to think about making a move or looking for a job all the way through the recruiting process, onboarding, kind of uh, all the way through kind of post-hire kind of safety management. So try to do kind of soup to nuts and people engage us for all points in between, you know, um, and so it really varies from carrier to carrier. Right. Now, one of the services you provide is an app. And when a company uses your, uh, uses your service, they turn to the 10 Street app and, the, and drivers who are looking to, let's say company XYZ hires 10 Street to help it with some hiring. Um, the uh, potential buyers, potential hires will use the 10 Street app to apply to company XYZ. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Both a website and a smartphone app. All right. So you get a great perspective on hiring trends, not so much necessarily, I mean, hiring trends uh, in part, but also application trends in the industry as well. Uh, we had you on a Freightway Summit last August, I believe, and you said it was the most amazing time you'd ever seen that we had 10% unemployment in the country that then we did, because you know you were just a few months after the start of the pandemic, and you still had a driver shortage. Now, since that time, unemployment is down towards six, somewhere between six and seven percent. And the driver shortage certainly uh, is just as bad. Uh, Are these really historic times from your perspective? Yeah, they they really, really are. Um, And I wish I could say things had stayed flat or maybe even gotten better since August. But, you know, what we're seeing across the across the platform is really tough times, you know, for carriers looking for drivers. Um, It's just a really, really tough market. And what really struck me in that interview is you said if if you're a company that that gets an application via the app, they should act on it within like 30 minutes. Said if they if it takes them 90 minutes to to, to act on it, they could lose. I, I was just stunned by those numbers. Uh, are companies doing it? Are they acting that fast? Are they reacting that fast? The 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 ones that are having success, the most success uh, are, um, and actually the effect actually starts even sooner than that. It starts the the drivers that get uh, the first response from a carrier within five minutes are way more likely to engage with that carrier. Um, and so a speed is at an all-time high in terms of a premium. So, so you know, you think of recruiting as, you know, obviously, you've got to be very aggressive, but, I mean, this is like almost like a real-time news operation. You know, something came in, there's just a, you know, there's a fire downtown, we got to act on it right now. And according to you, recruiting has got to be kind of the same way. 
It really does. It really does. And it makes total sense. If you're, if you're in that driver's position, it makes total sense. Um, average driver, when they first go out, is probably talking to a couple carriers. Um, but the deeper that driver gets into any hiring process, the more carriers they talk to, right? Um, which you're trying to see who's got the best offer. And, at this, and if you think about as tight as the regulation is, every one of those carriers um, asks for things. And so that to-do list from the driver's perspective is really high. The carriers that are really fast and tend to be really responsive um, are going to make that process as easy as possible for the driver. And that's just going to translate into more drivers hiring on with those guys. Are the drivers, uh, are they anticipating that? Are they anticipating that kind of five-minute, 30-minute response now? Is, do they almost really demand it? Uh, yeah, I don't know that I'd go so far as to say as demand it as much as when it happens. They really react to it because it really solves a problem for the driver. I mean, don't make any mistake. And drivers don't really like looking for jobs. I mean, it's a pain in the neck, right? Their phone blows up. They get lots of phone calls. It's, it's, a, it's hard work. And if, if the carriers that take on that work and make it easy for the drivers, the drivers are just going to naturally grab him because it's a, it's a better experience, a better solution from the driver's perspective. Yeah, it seems in a lot of fields you can kind of, you know, you, the, the phrase is kick tires. Oh, let me, let me kick tires on what's out there. But if you're a driver, you really almost can't do that. I mean, you're, you're, if, you, if you enter that field, you're going to enter that kind of whirlwind right away. You're all, you, you, can't be, you can't put your toe in the water. You've got to be all in. And if, if you're not all in, then you probably want to extract yourself out because otherwise you just kind of go crazy from all the attention you get. Well, it, it, exactly. And I think, um, there, to be clear, there are a lot of drivers who do kind of kick tires and do um, do try to get a, a sense for, hey, is the grass really going to be greener on the other side of the fence? Um, and that's a tough process. Um, and, you know, and a lot of carriers have... You know, a really, really high no contact rate where the driver will put in an app, even sometimes do a full-blown, full DOT compliant app. Um, and then the carrier can never get in touch with them. And, you know, you have to think, hey, that's because somebody else got to that driver first. Um, or the driver was just kicking tires and just got, got the answer he was looking for some other way. I got somebody to answer his question. You know, we at Freightways have done a lot of stories about the driver squeeze and uh, what you need to do to retain drivers. But you've probably got an interest. You've got a lot of interesting perspectives. But one of them I would think is you deal with people in the recruiting departments. What are the most successful ones like as people? Do they have the patience of Job? Uh, do they are they really super aggressive? Are they younger? Are they older? Uh, what when when you think about some of the best people that you've dealt with? On the recruiting side, what makes a good recruiter? I'm not necessarily talking about the policies at the company. Like, wh what kind of person becomes a good recruiter? I think the ability to be fully present with that driver candidate. Um, even driver, even think about it this way, even carriers that are really effective, 95 uh, drivers out of 100 that come across their transom aren't going to get hired, right? The driver's going to self-select out, what have you it's really tempting for that recruiter to just treat that next applicant across the, the um, that comes across their desk, just kind of like a number. Um, and we've all been on the receiving end of those interactions, right? In, uh, in our world. And, and, and that comes across so loud and clear to the driver and it's an instant turnoff. The drivers that, or the recruiters that have the ability to treat drivers like people, um, that just naturally attracts that uh, drivers are going to be more engaged. They're going to find more fits and are going to be more successful. 
And that's hard to do from a recruiter's perspective because the conversion rates are so low. Um, they do have to work lots and lots of files. But the guys that can do it, the recruiters that can do it and, and be present with every rec recruit um, are just run rings around the people who are just kind of punching the clock. Let's talk about some of the conditions out there now that I think might be unique to now. There's a conventional wisdom out there. Not everybody believes it, but that one of the reasons that it is tough to hire drivers right now is because of a wide range of extended government benefits uh, related to the pandemic, maybe extended unemployment, higher unemployment numbers. Um, are you seeing that in your data? Your, your data is, you know, gets compiled hour by hour, day by day. And if some of these benefits kicked in, have you seen, if you, if you ch plotted them on a bar chart, would you see a drop? We, we have, and, it, and it's hard to draw like a direct, you know, causal line, causal link. But, you know, when the latest stimulus came into effect uh, mid-March, sort of week over week, um, we saw a 15% drop in applications, probably the biggest drop in applications we'd ever seen week over week since the start of the pandemic. And that was, that was all types of applications. That was lead apps. That was full-blown applications. The whole market slowed down. Um, and it, that, to me, sent a pretty clear signal that, that while this, you know, the stimulus and government programs aren't the only thing driving uh, drivers to be in short supply right now, it certainly is a big contributor and is a big cause for, the I think, the things we saw over the last four weeks or so. And so that number was fairly historic, then, you say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the biggest. We saw a similar drop, maybe not quite as dramatic uh, as the economy went to shut down uh, last, you know, this time last year. Um, uh, but prior to that, never anything that dramatic uh, that overnight. Yeah, well, of course, a year ago, there's just a lot going on there that uh, using that period as a symbol of anything or as a signal of anything probably has a lot of problems in it. But I think you're, what you're telling me happened in March is, you know, it, it would almost kind of end that argument if somebody, two people were standing at a bar arguing about whether extended benefits uh, impact employment applications or in, 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 in impact the number of people seeking employment. But you'd have some pretty hard numbers to throw at them. I, it seems pretty conclusive to me. And you know, and there's other stuff going on, you know, and, and when you look not week to week, you look quarter to quarter over the last 12 months. But clearly, clearly a big effect um, is, is the extended stimulus. I know another thing that's been going on is that companies are announcing pay increases here at Freightways. We write that story. Boy, probably, I mean, certainly a week hasn't gone by in a long time that we didn't write a story about a pay increase. A lot of times those announcements are coming from companies that never make public announcements. Uh, otherwise, um, and you know, you, you're, what, what, we're what we're not certain of is where one cycle of increases ended and the next one began. It just seems to be nonstop. Based on the numbers I've seen, it sounds like the the rawest based rate, the rawest based rate, is maybe about fifty five to sixty cents per mile. But are these increases that are popping out there and being publicized? Are they having an impact on on boosting uh, amount of interest out there? Yeah, it, it certainly seems so. Right. And, and the, the devil from the driver's perspective is always in the details, right? the things that go around the cents per mile. Um, and, you know, but anything that gets those carriers kind of into the news and into sort of top of mind for those drivers, I think is going to help. And this certainly is kind of this drumbeat uh, certainly has people paying attention. That's for sure. 
All right, your applicants, where are they coming from these days? Are they coming from people who are generally hired? I'm sure they're coming from all over the places, but you, do you see any kind of trend of uh, they're, looking to, they're looking to leave their job and find another one? Or are they people maybe coming back into the field? Certainly one thing I'm sure that's impacted thing is you're probably not getting a lot of brand new CDL holders because the CDL schools were closed for so long. I'm sure that's starting to ease up now, but you know the, this industry lost months and months of of new job candidates. What's the what's the average job candidate looking like today? Yeah, I mean we're we're seeing exactly what you described. New CDL holders are way way off, right? The school, we work with lots and lots of schools. Uh, school graduation rates are a third to forty percent off the pre-pandemic levels, and that's just accumulating. Um, we're seeing very very few. Uh, uh, drivers that have been out of the market come back into the market. You know, we can, we can, because we've kind of been at this a long time, we can see, Hey, the last time we saw driver X was five years ago and he hasn't applied anywhere else. He probably has been doing something other than driving the, and we see those guys, but, uh, there's not been a big uptick in guys reentering the market, it appears. And so, which is, I think what's driving some of the, the short-term driver shortage is you know, no new CDL holders or very few CDL, new CDL holders combined with, you know, you know, combination of retirement slash early retirement government benefits sort of taking existing guys out of the market and previous drivers not sort of filling that gap. Right. So it's uh, three or four factors that all kind of lining up to make it a really tough market right now. So much focus on women in trucking and uh, the uh, the women in trucking. There's a group, of course. So there's a capital W, capital T, women in trucking, and then small W, small T in trucking. Are you seeing the female numbers increase? We are, but it tends to be a little uneven, a little spotty. Um, and so, and I think it goes along with the um, experienced inexperience. It seems to be tracking that sort of overall trend, and we don't see from what we can tell, an outperformance of uh, like a uh, disproportionate percentage of women sort of former drivers coming back in the market or students. Um, uh, but that might be masked by the fact that those groups are just so small relative to the experienced drivers in the market. And let's talk about a group that uh, makes up a large percentage, I know, of drivers, particularly relative to population, doesn't necessarily always get a lot of publicity, is that would be the, the Sikh drivers from the Punjab state in India who have immigrated over here, and a huge number of drivers out there on the road. I don't know if you can tell that from your applications, but has that number fluctuated at all? You know, I really don't have great visibility into that at all, so I, I'm afraid I can't help you on that score. All right. And then, of course, uh, another reason that's cited right now is the drug and alcohol clearinghouse. I don't know if you, that you see that in the sense that if somebody's kind of ex, you know, uh, exiled because of the drug and alcohol clearinghouse, you're not going to see their application. Um, but do you think it's had a big impact? I, I do. I do. You know, when we uh, started, when started working with clients in the clearinghouse last January, you know, not surprisingly, with no records in the database, there were very, very few hits. Um, and most recently, we've seen that that the hit rate, if you will, the, the uh, people who have a previous positive drug and alcohol go from zero last January to just shy of 1%. And so that's 1% of drivers, not people that opted out and said, hey, I know I have a positive, I'm not even going to apply. I don't have any idea how big that number is. 
These are people who went through the whole application process, carrier thought they were going to hire that driver on or contract that driver, and then found out that that driver had a, a previous drug and alcohol. And I think the, the interesting thing is that if you, there's this whole elaborate return to duty process, what a driver can do to get back, back on the road after a positive. Uh, very, very few carriers that we're aware of will, uh, are able to work with somebody because of fear of nuclear law verdicts. Um, and so you wonder if there's enough pressure there that, that uh, carriers uh, may start to revisit that policy. Uh, but there are the carriers in a really, really tough spot, um, as is you know, the driver as a positive and effectively can't find a job. You know, so many times you, particularly if you, if you get on a an earnings call at this time of year, companies will talk about you know their own retention efforts, and it's tough out there, it's tough out there. But you know, we're really proud of our retention efforts. We think we're doing better than everybody else. Obviously, everybody can't be doing better than everybody else. You know, it's mathematically impossible. Um, so. Uh, you know, all this effort to, to retain drivers, is it successful at all? Or is everybody just kind of running to stay in place, which is okay. You know, I mean, it's, it's successful. I mean, if you, if you, if you keep the status quo, um, that's better than falling behind. So it is worth the effort, but um, are there gains or retention efforts better than they used to be? I think it varies from client to client. Um, you know, we work, uh, with the folks at Staymetrics, we uh, combined our business with theirs last fall, and you know they have great, great insights into that data, and and they definitely see the carriers that take retention really seriously um, can both systemically and on an individual basis actually you know work to uh, extend drivers' tenure and to get their retention numbers better than the average. Um, you know that said. You know, hey, driving's a, a tough job, and it's you know it's one of the that retention is definitely a journey, not a destination. Um, and I think so. There are clients who are they're all carriers that are having success there. I think the additional complication though is drivers all know that they're in a really scarce supply. So even drivers that may have not historically been thinking about making a move, it's got to be pretty enticing to know that there's companies with pay packages coming out and a lot of carriers who would love to get their them driving for them. So there's kind of forces both ways. Are you, uh, do, do you see the pay packages? Or have they, in, we know that they've increased, but do you have any kind of idea of how much they've increased? I don't know if you get to see that level or whether that's kind of confidential. We, we, we really can't speak to that now, unfortunately. Okay. All right. Um, so uh, the, the best companies, what are your tips to them? Uh, you, we talked about your one tip was act fast, act real, real fast. <laughs> Five minutes, 10 minutes. What are some of your other tips for your clients? I mean, I, I, think, I think act fast is important, I think, but not just in terms of minutes. I think also um, uh, days matter. You know, if you look at the total hiring cycle from first application to hiring date, um, the carriers that have... Uh, uh, that hiring cycle measured in, you know, five days, six days compared to a carrier that's 15 days, the five to six day, seven day carrier is going to have a much, much higher uh, conversion rate. Um, and I think the way you get to that is not only streamlining kind of the processing, the verification process, um, but also making the hiring process as transparent as you can for that driver. Think about it from the driver's perspective. He's talking to four carriers. And that's the average if somebody does is deep into the hiring process. They're engaged with at least four carriers. 
And all four of those carriers have four or five items on their to-do list for the driver to do. If you're a driver, you've got 20 to-dos that you're trying to mediate through email and text and voicemails. It's a mess, right? The carriers that says, hey, look, I'm going to make, put all this in an app. I'm going to make it crystal clear. Here's what I need from you. Here's where I am with you, your file. Those are the carriers that, that compresses the cycle and it and makes it for a better experience for the drivers. And that turns into a, a better hiring rate. Yeah, one thing I'm realizing now, I hadn't really thought about it that much, is that uh, this is a job that goes on seven days a week. If you're in a, in a recruiting department, you can't kind of sign off on Friday and say, OK, I'm going to join my weekend. So these recruiting departments are really, really, truly, I don't know if they're 24-7, but they're certainly seven, wouldn't, aren't they? The most effective ones clearly are. I mean, what we see is, on average, sort of across the platform, 50% of applications come in after hours and on weekends. And the clock starts when that driver hits submit, not, you know, eight o'clock Monday morning. So you're exactly right. And that's tough, right? If you're the, that recruiting department, you have all sorts of compliance and commission issues and all the things to deal with, you know, working all the headaches of trying to work after hours and weekends. But the ROI is so high, we're seeing more and more carriers try to tackle that. Interesting. So uh, we, I just did, you You want to mention something else. Uh, you mentioned Staymetrics. Uh, of course, your company recently acquired Staymetrics, which means that we have the two Tims together. Uh, Tim Crawford here, who's been our guest on Drilling Deep, and Tim Hines, who's the uh, founder and CEO of Staymetrics. And he's been a guest on Drilling Deep as well. So uh, maybe we'll get to the, the two Tims. We'll get on together. We'll have a really, really good podcast. If nothing else, it'll be confusing as to who's supposed That's to answer true, yeah. the question. Tim, what do you think about that? Well, Tim, <laughs> as I said, you, we've been talking to Tim Crawford. He's the C CEO of 10 Street. That is a company that helps a lot of companies. They do more than help. They handle the, the, the hiring process for a lot of fleets, certainly more important than ever today in this driver squeeze. He's been our guest on Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep is part of the FreightCast family of podcasts. From Freightways, you can hear us on all the major podcast platforms. I'm your host, John Kingston. Please join us again 